The founder of every other religious movement is still in the grave. Ours conquered the grave. And he lives. Would you stand, please? Good morning, church. From Psalms. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Sorry, I had the wrong music cued here. There we go. Okay, with feeling, people. I know he rescued my soul His blood has covered my sin I believe I believe My shame is taken away My pain is healed in his name I believe I believe I'll raise a my Lord has conquered the grave, my Redeemer lives, my Redeemer lives, my Redeemer lives, my Redeemer lives. I know he rescued my soul. His blood has covered my sin, I believe, I believe. My shame is taken away, my pain is healed in his name, I believe, I believe. I'll raise a banner. My Lord has conquered the grave. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. You lift my burdens. I'll rise with you. I'm dancing on this mountain top. To see your kingdom come. 
My Redeemer lives. 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 I'm having a problem with C sharp minors. What? My guitar? Well, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> Oops. Oh, there we go. Thank you. You must be tone deaf. Okay. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I think I did it again. Okay. Now it's too loud.
Hear me, O Lord, and counsel me in your ways. Lead me on the path of righteousness and help me to share the blessings of your countenance with all I meet. Pick me up when I stumble and encourage me when I am disheartened. Lord, I give my all, blemished and full of sin, that you may make me into the servant that you wish me to be. Amen. my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the rest of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That's just beautiful. So uh, from the King James Study Bible, uh, this song has been a favorite of God's people through the ages, and with due reason, it expresses a simple, simply, and it expresses as simply and clearly as any role of God as our protector and provider in life. The charm of the psalm rests on two figures of speech. The Lord is compared to a shepherd and the believer to his sheep. Then the Lord is likened to a host with the believer as the guest. The image of the Lord as shepherd is a frequent one in both the Old and New Testament. Believers are never pictured in Scripture as mighty lions, independent and self-sufficient. Rather, they are sheep who are dependent on their shepherd for his provision and protection. The believer is more than a dependent sheep, however. He is also like an honored guest, since the Lord prepares a table for him. Connected with this honored position is an abundant provision, vindication before one's enemies, and eternal celebration of God's goodness. On Monday evenings, we've been developing the doctrine of heaven, and we link this to the doctrine of heaven, and, um, you know, it, it has application for the living with the hope of looking ahead to when we're with Christ, correct? Jesus becomes a waiter for us. I don't mean that in a demeaning way. He's serving us. And it says he, pre he prepares a table for us, right? In the presence of who? It's a picture of the Great Supper. It's amazing. So good things. Thank you, Chip, uh, to work on. Uh, <clears throat> if you're listening by Facebook, uh, <laughs> we continue to have some technical issues. Uh, the hopefully uh, this is getting recorded on my personal Facebook page. So if you're if you are seeing this, it's not on Crossbridge because I can't get the phone to work. All right, so we'll try to work on that. Actually, we got the camera, and with Joey on vacation, I we're having problems interfacing with the camera. So now that I explain all the technical stuff to you. Uh, we need to get on. I, I wish I had remembered this, but I, I didn't today. If I brought in a raw egg, and I say to you that if you take each end and put it in the palm of your hand and squeeze as hard as you can, you cannot break that egg. Would you trust me? 
Would you believe what I said? Happens to be true. It happens to be true. You could put, you can get the strongest guy in here and you cannot break an egg like that. Uh, that's why when they pack them, they put them on the ends, just so you, you know, you know. Now, that was a very revealing question because it showed your faith and you thought I was lying to you, correct? I mean, I don't blame you, but what I typically do is I'll get a base and, and I'll ask, you know, somebody strong like Tommy or Michael or, or uh, Butch, you know, to come up and I'll say, squeeze as hard as you can. Pastor, if this breaks, you're paying for the dry cleaning. No, no, do it. Trust me. Trust me. Let me ask a follow-up question. Those of you who said yes, that you would do it, would you have volunteered to come up and show us? No, thank you. Okay. I mean, that's the next step of faith. What'd you say? You would do it? Good, good. That's the next step of faith. It's something different to say, I believe it's true, and then to come up and have egg on your face. Okay? If I could put it that way. Um, if I said to you that this chair is rated for 150 pounds, okay? I don't know what it's rated for, but just make believe, right? Yeah, well, if I say it's rated for 150 pounds, and all right, since Chip uh, said it, I say to Chip, come on up and sit in the chair, right? You can trust me, right? Would you do it? I'd be lying, all right? The, the point I want to make is faith is only as good as the object of the person you place it in. Should I say that again? Faith is only as good as the object or the person in which you place your faith. So, if you place your faith in, in me, well, you're going to be disappointed sometimes because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But if you place your faith in Jesus, now, now you, you hit it because Jesus never fails. Now, you may say, well, you know, there, there, there's some people who exercise great faith in church history. Yeah, there are, but they were no different than you and me. And the reason why they exercised great faith is because they trusted the one who called them. You know, there's the story of, and I can't remember the guy's name, the uh, guy who crossed um, Niagara Falls on the tightrope. Was it a Walenda brother? You know, and... He gets to the other side, and people are cheering him. We knew you could do it. We knew you can do it. Then he says to the people on the Canada side, 
do you think I can make it back? Oh, yeah, you can make it back. So he makes it back to the United States side, and they're cheering for him. We knew you could do it. He says, do you think I could do it with a wheelbarrow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do it with a wheelbarrow. So he takes the wheelbarrow across. Says to the people on the other side, you think I can do this with the wheelbarrow? And they say, yeah, we just saw you do it. Okay, would one of you get in it, and I'll take it back across? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Their fate faltered, right? Because, I mean, he could have fallen, we know that. And he was probably able to do it, but the point was, your faith is only as good as the person or thing in which you trust. We were going to Denver, Colorado on a pastor's conference, and uh, we're at Newark waiting for our, our plane. And the plane before us that was going to Denver was still in the, um, you know, where they load. And they were having a little bit of a problem. They couldn't get one of the engines started. So they announced it, right? Couldn't get one of the engines. Oh, of course, Mary Lou says to me, I ain't going on that plane. <laughs> I ain't. They actually had to roll it back and bring out this machine to jumpstart the engine to get it going, right? And, and it was fine after that. You know, they took off and, and, and all. But there are people who, who don't like flying. I understand that. But st statistically speaking, you're safer in an airplane than you are in a car. Okay? Now, when I get, I'll tell you a little trick that I learned. When I get on a plane, I always say to myself, the pilot and the co-pilot want to get there alive. So they're going to do the best job possible to keep us alive. And they do. I mean, some of these pilots are excellent, right? And, you know, we, we have these fears. But, you know, planes do break down, don't they? And pilots make mistakes. But Jesus never does. I can't tell you what, what a problem uh, this causes even in the church because sometimes we can say we have faith. Remind me to do the offering later, okay? Sometimes we say we have faith, and when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of living it, we say, that's nah, not me. We were talking in Sunday school. Look, we're going through, we started going through Proverbs, and we were talking about um, uh, having integrity in our lives, looking to God's word for wisdom to do what the right thing is. And since it's tax season, I brought up taxes, all right? And uh, as, I, as I bring up taxes, there are some people, even Christians, who have the mentality that Uncle Sam gets enough of our money, so if I can cut corners here, and, you know, not pay him some stuff, well, he's got enough anyhow. Well, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, it's dishonest, number one. Number two, Jesus says what? Render to Caesar what's due, <coughs> excuse me, what's due Caesar. But render to God what's due God's. 
Okay. Well, what's due Caesar is our taxes. What is due to God? Our tithes. Our gifts. Right? I mean, he, he owns it all anyhow. And <clears throat> one, of, one of the things that um, impressed me when I, when, as new believers, uh, Mary Lou and I, uh, we started to learn the concept of tithing and, and all. And um, we were in a situation at that point where we had to work up to it. And we did. And it was the best thing we ever did because, uh, how can I say this? There hasn't been any time that we wanted for anything. Now, we live within a budget. It's a tight budget. But there hasn't been a time that we wanted for anything. You know, God's been faithful. That doesn't mean that God gave us what we wanted. It means God gave us what we needed. Right? You get the difference? All right? So I want to bring you through this chapter. This is a, a, a um, it's the last half of chapter 4, our last third of it. And it talks about a miracle says, after the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. That parenthesis has caused a lot of theologians to scratch their head because nobody knows exactly why Jesus said that. All right? But here's why. He's going back to Galilee. Where did he grow up? In Galilee. Whose son was he? Well, he's God's son, but who was his stepfather? Joseph. And Joseph did what? Carpenter. And now Jesus is returning as a rabbi, a teacher. And you know how it is. Oh, that's, he's only the son of a carpenter. You know, I mean, he, maybe he thinks he's a teacher, but we know him since he was born. I imagine that Jesus was starting to feel the pressure of his ministry and that in Galilee there were, there were people who doubted him, especially the Pharisees. And so, you know, he comes back to Galilee and I want you to see how this progresses. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. That was good, right? They, they had all seen or seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. And we, we looked at that in the previous weeks. For they also had been there. One, once more he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the wine into water. Remember that? So he's going, he goes back to Cana, which is right near Galilee. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a uh, two-day journey away by foot, right? They didn't use, you know, you had to be really rich to have, like, a horse or a camel. His, he was a royal official, but he traveled on foot, and you'll see why in a moment. But we don't know too much about this royal official, we don't know what his position is. We don't know if he's a Jew or Gentile. We just don't have that information. 
And, and there's no sense in making an argument from silence here because you got a 50-50 shot, all right? But all we know is that there was a, 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 an official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that will bring you to your knees faster than one of your children being sick? I mean, you, you know, in, in a lot of senses, I know uh, with me, I said to God, I wish it was me, not them. And, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. So here's this official, right? He says, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from uh, uh, Judah, he went to him and he what? He begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So picture this man. He heard about Jesus. He heard Jesus was in the area, so he took the effort to go to him. And he begged Jesus, he said, look, I know you're someone special. My son is close to death. Would you come with me and heal him? Now, you get the picture? Would you come with me and heal him? That took a great deal of faith, didn't it? All right? Because what, what were the um, possibilities here? You know, if, if Jesus was a Pharisee, it probably would have went like this. Would you come to my house and, and pray and maybe heal my son? And a Pharisee would say, no, I can't be bothered. That would make me unclean. Oh. No, he went to Jesus. You see, he knew that Jesus had performed miracles and that there was something special about him so he rightly put his trust in the right person for his son look how it goes Jesus kind of gives a mild rebuke here he says unless you people see signs and wonders Jesus told him you will never believe in other words, people were following Jesus just to see what miracle he was going to do next. What was his next trick? And that, that's not faith. But then verse 49 said, the royal off official said, come, sir, come down before my child dies. Still asking Jesus to come down. What do you think Jesus did? He didn't go. He simply said this. Go, replied Jesus, your son will live. I'm sorry? Well, and, you know, basically Jesus says, he's going to be okay. I made sure of that. Go. Your son will be alive. He didn't have to be there. I mean, he could have gone, but he didn't have to. Why? He was fully God, fully man. This is the key to this whole passage. 
The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's faith. He took Jesus at his word. That's faith. Do we take Jesus at his word? Because that's faith. Jesus says, if you believe in me, I will save you. That's faith. Why can't he save us? Because he died for us on the cross of Calvary. And not only that, you're saying before that my Redeemer lives. He conquered sin. He, con he conquered Satan. He conquered the grave. Who better can you trust than the one who's fully God and fully man? The man took Jesus at his word. That's the verse that I got stuck on in a good way. Because I had to reflect back on myself and I said, how many times have I not taken Jesus at his word? And that's, it's sin. It really is. We've all been there. We've all done it. One of the primary reasons why we fail at this is because many times what we want is not what Jesus wants for us. In everything that Jesus does, he has purpose. Whether we walk through deep waters, he's got a purpose in that. And the only way we're going to know that purpose is to keep being obedient even though the storm is there and trust him that he'll bring us to the other side one way or another and that what waits for us on the other side is more compassion for others going through the same thing we're going through. What waits for us on the other side is a stronger faith. A faith refined by fire. What waits for us on the other side is a stronger character. You follow what I'm saying? This man took Jesus at his word and departed. You know, we often criticize Peter, don't we? When Peter was out in the boat, and with the other apostles, and a storm came up, and Jesus was walking on water. You remember that story, right? And uh, Peter, all Peter wanted to do was walk on water. He thought it was cool, right? Hey, Lord, can you, can you do that for me? You know, I want to walk on water too. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. Now, I have to confess I don't know if I would have taken the step out of the boat, right? But Peter at least had the courage to take that first step. And I want to suggest to you that we need the courage through the Holy Spirit to take the first step of faith. And then God will show us the next step and the next step. 
What happened to Peter when he took his eyes off Jesus? Started sinking, right? <laughs> Started to cry out. Jesus just extended his hand and lifted him back up again. And basically says, Peter, you've got to keep your eyes on me through the storm. And that's what we all need to do. To whatever storm, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look at this. While he was still on the way, his servants met him. This is talking about the uh, official. Met him with the news that his boy was living. Whoa. Can you imagine? Right? When he inquired as to the time his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. That's important. Here's why it's important. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus said to him, your son will live. It was the exact time. So he and his whole household what? Believed. Whoa. Remember I said that going back to his home was a two-day two journey. This was the second day of his journey, and his servants were coming out to meet him. And, you know, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I've had the responsibility sometimes of telling people that a loved one of theirs had passed away. It's not pleasant. So, you know, there was no doubt in the Father's mind. There was none at all. Why? Because he took Jesus at his word. Your son will live. And not only that, he and his whole household were saved because he took Jesus at his word. I'm going to ask you to do a spiritual inventory of your own self. <laughs> Scary, right? But scripture does that to us sometimes. It, we need to examine ourselves and see, okay, Lord, what areas am, am I not taking you at your word. Now listen, with the condition of the American church, there's a lot of areas that professing believers aren't taking uh, Jesus at his word. And uh, I'll, I'll give you some, some, some things to think about. I, I have never done a sermon on giving uh, unless a text calls for it. But here's something to think about. If the evangelical church, the congregations, were faithful in tithing, there would be no church that has any need financially. That's kind of astounding, isn't it? And that's provided the church is living within their budget. We have a budget. If people were obedient to Christ and tithe, then we'd have the finances to further advance the kingdom of God. George Barna says, he's, an, he's a pollster, Christian, 
says that the average evangelical only attends church once a month. Well, where does that square with the writer of Hebrews that says, do not forsake the assembling, as some have? Well, that's, I'm preaching to the choir. But there are people, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and there's people I'll see on one Sunday, and I won't see them for two, two months. Then I'll see them on another Sunday, and I won't see them for two months. Now, listen, sometimes there's good reasons for it, but many times there's not, if we're honest with ourselves. Here's some of the things that we can learn from. True biblical faith is to trust Christ and take him at his word. You know what the toughest word is? And I see this all the time, and this comes up um, when you know I'm discipling people. This is the toughest word. Jesus says he loves you. You say, he loves me? Yeah, he loves you. But I'm not perfect. No, he still loves you. He loves you. A lot of people have a problem with that. And then if you take it a step further and says, well, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You mean Jesus loved me so much and God loved me so much that Jesus died for me on the cross? Oh, yeah. He had to take our sin and make full payment for it. When Jesus says, follow me, does that apply to me? (laughs) Yeah. That's what a disciple is. Following Christ. Taking him at his word. That's faith. We are all in a desperate situation because we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. But praise God, Jesus changed that. He died for a desperate sinner on the cross for me. We need a Savior. We, we must place our complete trust in the person and work of Christ. Our biblical faith can influence others. It, One of the things that um, impressed me, when Paul wrote in Corinthians about husbands and wives, um, back in the early church, listen, the women were smarter. Because generally speaking, the the women came to Christ by faith more easily than the men did. So when you had a marriage between a husband and wife, and the wife comes to faith, you know, they're wondering, well, what should I do? Well, here's, here's what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, wives, live in a way that glorifies God so that you can win your husband without a word. Isn't that something? That takes out the nagging. Doesn't it? Win him without a word. In other words, Your life can influence others when you live it for the glory of God. 
Jesus will, is the only one who will never fail us. He's the only one. In saying that, we need to distinguish between what we want and what God wants for us. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Right? But yet, through the word and through the power of the spirit, we can discern that. There was a woman up in uh, Pennsylvania, I believe, who had Meniere's disease. You know what Meniere's disease is? It's, it's, it's the worst form of vertigo you can have. She couldn't even stand up by herself. So she was confined to bed. She was a, she, she was a believer in Christ and um, a prayer warrior. So all she could do was pray, right? So she called her pastor because she was kind of discouraged. Um, the, if you've ever had vertigo, I do. I have bouts of it every once in a while. It's no fun. I would never wish it on my worst enemy, right? So she calls the pastor. He's getting, he's, uh, he's, uh, she's getting discouraged. She says, pastor happened to be Dr. Robert Cook, by the way. Some of you may know him. And she, she says, pastor, I'm of no use. All I do is lay in bed all day long. So the pastor, great, great discernment from God, he says, let me ask you a question. When people are going through severe circumstances, who do they go to? And she said, well, they come here. Well, why do they come here? She says, because they know I'll pray for them. And he says, you're doing one of the most valuable ministries that could ever be done right from your bed. You're praying for people. And with that, it was like the fog was lifted. And she knew, even though she couldn't even stand up, that she had value, purpose, and was loved by Jesus. And her purpose was to intercede for others. Wow. Sometimes we need a kick in the uh, posterior to remind us to take Jesus at his word. And I think this, this serves as, as that little shove that we need every once in a while. Certainly did with me. Let me uh, just brief you on uh, what will be happening next week. We're going to look at the next passage, which is uh, another miracle. But the person, the recipient of the miracle didn't handle it so well. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Can you imagine being the recipient of a miracle and not handling it well? When I say handling, well, they actually betrayed Jesus. Woo. We'll look at that next week. Since I forgot the offering, and I don't want the trustees to uh, uh, hang me after the service, we're going to wait upon you now for tithes and offerings. And Chip, would you come up if you uh, play some music? And then after that, we'll, we'll close the service. I apologize. Chip and I have to run off up to Tom's River.
He said he'd take me. He never said he'd take me back home, though. I don't know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we want to pray for those who are still battling illness, especially Pat. Father, we pray that uh, you begin the healing process in her. Give doctors just the perfect insight they need to do the right thing. We pray, Father, for Gloria, who's still uh, uh, nursing that broken arm. And for others that aren't here, Father, we pray. Pray that you bless them today in a mighty way. And Father, as we give to you what is due you, may we take you at your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kristen, would you uh, bring that beautiful voice up here? She's so modest. All right. She does have a beautiful voice. There's uh, an, uh, an old hymn that says, Count Your Blessings One by One. There's a lot of truth in that. I urge you to do that one of these days. Count your blessings. But there's 10,000 reasons why we ought to be praising God. So, Chip? Your name is great. 
my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your Listen, God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming out. Um, you know, today was one of the days with the hour lost. You know, you had a spring ahead. It was like, oh, no, I just don't want to go back. So we thank you all. If you see somebody not here, pray for them. Give them a call. Encourage them. And um, normal schedule this week, Lord willing, men will see you at uh, uh, Tuesday night uh, prayer meeting. Pray yeah, you're the instigator. Is it? <laughs> prayer meeting, uh, our normal time, uh, weather permitting, and um, and then we have the round table at Wednesday at twelve thirty. So, uh, a lot of good stuff happening. Let's pray. Father, my prayer today is that you send us away in the power of your Holy Spirit. That as we go through the door to go out we realize we're entering a vast mission field would you give us the holy courage father to lovingly point people to jesus christ we want to honor you and glorify you not us and so father we ask this in the precious name of jesus amen Amen. A little anemic. All God's people said? Amen. Very good. You're dismissed.